Uh, if you have a Bible, get to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs. We've been in a series now, and we are in the series through the end of June, teaching from this book that gives us wisdom from the Lord, wisdom in how to live in a way that would glorify Him. Proverbs gives us a picture of how to live with wisdom in a way that would love the Lord our God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. The Lord is continually after our hearts, the core of who we are. Because as He transforms our hearts inwardly, that transforms our, how, our, our lives outwardly. So we're not after behavior modification here, we're, we're after heart transformation. As we open up the Scriptures, as we gather together, that continues to be our desire. Lord, transform us. Make us more like you. And Jesus was humble. I used to think I was a pretty humble guy. I used to think that pride was not something I struggled with or that was just the sin that the other guys did. I'm bent toward an introverted personality and so I rarely was the guy walking around beating his chest or bragging about his accomplishments and accolades. I'm not a big spotlight person. If given the chance, I actually do not gravitate to this spot up here with these shiny lights. I would much prefer to be in a one-on-one -on -one conversation or where you are on a typical basis. I tend to be more quiet or reserved, and so I think at one point years ago, I assumed that, that because of that, because of a personality wiring, I didn't really have an issue with the pride as if introverts don't have a struggle with pride. Or that quiet, quiet, inward, self-righteous pride is, is somehow better than loud, outward self-righteousness. And so I pridefully thought that I was pretty humble. Yeesh. It's terrible. The irony of ironies. And then I got married. And that quiet pride began to get exposed. Like, what? You don't like all my ideas? That's weird. I like my ideas. Or Paul's words in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. You know what kept getting in my way of living out that sweet, sweet command? It's not my wife. It's my own heart that kept getting in the way. The tendency in my heart to, to look inward, not outward, to, to say, who's going to serve me? I don't want to serve you. I, wanna, I want you to serve me. And so the Lord began to use marriage to sanctify me. And then by God's grace, we became parents. And my pride got exposed in, in that process over 20 plus years now where, for instance, I see something in their heart or life and I think, I can't blame that on their mother. That's me. That's my generational heart issue that they are struggling with is mine as well. And through those early married and parenting years, we began the work of planting a church alongside brothers and sisters. We've called Crosspoint home from day one and, and seeking to do life in the context of a local faith family. There have been plenty of times through the years where the Lord has put a spotlight on my pride and sought to lovingly and patiently transform me, shaping me to be more like Himself in the context of the family of God. I used to think I was a pretty humble guy. Now I'd say it this way. I'm a man bent toward pride that by the grace of God, and by the power of the Spirit is pursuing humility in Christ. Pursuing, implying this will be lifelong. I will not graduate from this. I will not arrive in this. This will be lifelong. 
but by the grace of God, the power of the Spirit, the grace and truth of the family of God, the goodness of the Word, I have made progress and I will continue to make progress for His glory and not for mine. He is faithful to finish what He has begun in me. C.S. Lewis said this. I've got a couple C.S. Lewis quotes this morning. The first one is this. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any person except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we, which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. The vice I'm talking about is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. We would all agree that we despise to see pride in others. The friend, the coworker, the leader, the politician, the employee, the employer, the spouse, the child, the, the parent, we easily recognize that. Go, that's a person so proud. Oh, but for our heart, no, I, I'm just right. I mean, they're so proud. I, my idea is just the best. That, we, we easily justify our own pride. We're quick to excuse it while quick to then point out pride in the other person. And so I come back to where we began. Our desire is, yes, Lord, transform those around us. But as we gather here today, as we open up our Bibles and have them on our lap and listen for the Spirit's voice, it's, Lord, transform me. Transform my heart. Make me more like you. As we get into Proverbs and what, what it has to say about humility and pride, I want us to see three things. We're going to start with what does the Lord have to, what's his perspective on pride and humility? And then I want to look at one characteristic, a, a contrast between pride and humility that helps us kind of get a diagnostic about, about our own hearts. And then finally, I want to look at what Proverbs has to say about both a warning for those who pursue pride and also a promise, a sweet blessing of what it looks like when we pursue humility. So here's why this subject matters. Proverbs 3.34, the Lord mocks the mockers, but is gracious to the humble. A truth that is written not just in Proverbs, but multiple times in the New Testament, the Lord mocks, meaning the Lord opposes the proud, but is gracious to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. So why does this subject matter? Because Proverbs 3.34, because I want you and I to experience the grace of God. I, I don't want to the Lord of the universe who is altogether good and holy, I don't want Him to oppose you, to resist you. God's grace is too, too good not to receive, and the way to receive it and experience it is through humbling ourselves before Him. So how does the Lord view pride? Well, He stands in opposition to it. Listen to Proverbs 6. 16 through 19, the Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to Him arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. That's not an exhaustive list of all things the Lord opposes. But arrogance makes the list. Why? Because a proud heart at its core says, I don't need the Lord. I don't need Christ in my life. I am self-sufficient on my own. 
Pride was at, the, was at the core of the rebellion in Genesis 3 that declared, I am my own Lord. I will be my own authority is what Adam and Eve were declaring. We were designed and created by a loving, eternal, triune God in order that we might worship Him, enjoy Him, depend upon Him. But pride doesn't want to worship or depend upon anyone or anything other than themselves. The Lord declares to us, Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And pride says, eh, I'd rather worship myself. It'd be more satisfying to worship myself. I'm not going to worship you, Lord. I'm going to worship me. I'm not going to be devoted to you. I'm going to be devoted to me. My allegiance is going to be for you. Not, not you, Lord. My affections are going to be for created things that I've turned into idols, not worship of, of the Creator. And so a proud heart is one that rejects the Lord. And thus, it should not surprise us then that the Lord Himself resists the proud and rejects them in eternity because that's what they wanted in this life. That's what they wanted. A life apart, lived apart from the grace and goodness of the Lord. And so then for all eternity, they're separated from the grace and the goodness of the Lord because that's, that's the kind of seed that they, that they sowed in their life. So that's the, what they reap in eternity. Like C.S. Lewis points out in that quote, it's easy to spot pride in, in another person. But we are often blind to it in our own life when we look in the mirror. So, so what's characteristics of pride and humility? I want to look at one specifically that Proverbs talks about contrasting between how the pride respond to counsel and then how the humble respond to counsel. I want to read these four verses here. Proverbs 12, 15. A fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. Proverbs 13, 10. Arrogance leads to nothing but strife, but wisdom is gained by those who take advice. Proverbs 13, 13. The one who has contempt for instruction will pay the penalty, but the one who respects a command will be rewarded. Proverbs 18, 2. A fool does not delight in understanding but only wants to show off his opinions. So how do you receive the counsel of the Word and the counsel of the Lord in your life? Well, the proud don't listen to it because they already know the answer, being wise in their own eyes. The proud reject the advice of the Lord, and as a result, relational strife often occurs. The proud have contempt for and disdain for the counsel of the Word. And the proud love to tell of all their opinions. In contrast, the humble listen and are wise. The humble take advice of the Lord. The humble respect the commands of the Lord. The humble delight in understanding that comes from, from the Lord. How we listen and how we receive the living and active words of the Lord, it matters, brothers and sisters, it matters. How we listen and receive the godly counsel of godly people in our lives matters. How we listen reveals something about our hearts. How's your listening? How's your listening as a way of life? May our lives be marked by a repentance from pride and a pursuit of humility. So Proverbs also gives us these warnings if we pursue pride and also these these promises to those if we pursue humility. 
So first of all, let's look at the warnings or the consequences of, of pride. You can summarize it this way, humiliation, fall, destruction. Proverbs 16, 18 through 19, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly of spirit with the humble than to divide plunder with the proud. So here we learn that pride eventually will lead to a destruction, to a fall. When, when, pride, gets ex- when, when pride in our hearts gets exposed, it's like this big flashing warning light. You don't want to go this way. You want to turn around. It's like the road closed signs that tell you the road's closed up ahead. The railroad's crossing is closed up ahead. But our pride will tell us, I doubt it. I'm sure I can get through. And so we drive around the road closed signs only to find the road was actually closed. God's word was true. And we fall. We are humiliated. And we face destruction, ultimately, if left without repentance. Let me ask you, are there any road signs in your life, any flashing warning lights trying to get the attention of your heart? Looking back to the previous verses in Proverbs, talking about characteristics of pride, are there signs of relational strife in your life and and your pride has contributed to that? Are you prone to think that you already know the answer? without seeking the Lord's counsel through His Word and His people? Are you bristling at the Word and its good authority in your life? Do you find yourself in relationships being prone to tell of all your opinions? Do you find yourself living in in an opposite way to James 1.19, where you're quick to speak and then slow to listen? Loved ones, pay attention to the Spirit's voice in your life. Take notice of these indicators. Listen, the Lord is for you. If there's there's warning lights for you, it's not to condemn you, it's to rescue you. It's to warn you of consequences and remind you of of His grace. That it's too good just to set aside and drive around. If we were to take a quick survey of the room, so many of us, if not all of us, I know I have, have learned the lesson of Proverbs 16, 18 the hard way. It's taken being humbled, taking a fall before we humbled ourselves. I could go back through the realms of marriage, parenting, local church, add in workplace, friendships, and the like, and there were times where I noticed the signs and thought, ah, I think I know better. Or let's just see. Let's just see how my idea works out first. And Proverbs 16, 18 came to pass. Brothers and sisters, today is the day to take notice of the Spirit's voice of truth and grace through the Word. Take notice and then respond. Take notice and listen because the Lord loves you. And as much as there are warnings of pride, Proverbs also speaks of blessings of humility. In short, there are this, wisdom and honor. Where pride is all about fall and humiliation and destruction, humility leads to wisdom and honor. Listen to these three. Proverbs 11.2, when arrogance comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 18.12, before his downfall, a person's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. Proverbs 22.4, humility, the fear of the Lord, results in wealth, honor, and life. These two pictures that Proverbs is painting between pride and humility aren't even close. 
Because God's kingdom is upside down from the world we live in. In our world, arrogance is celebrated, esteemed, seen as a virtue in order that you need. And if you're going to get things done, you've got to be proud, is what the world continually sells. But my fellow citizens of heaven, we are exiles. We are exiles in this land. We're foreigners. This is not our home. Our lives should not blend in with the world and its patterns. Our lives should, should stand out. And one way we might stand out is by pursuing humility. How countercultural that is. And how beautiful it is that the Lord might give us this promise that pursuing humility is worth it. Not only because it avoids destruction, but even, even more so it leads to honor and wisdom and life. Like I said in the beginning, the, the irony of ironies was when the Lord exposed to me a growing pride about my supposed humility. I think His believers were notoriously susceptible to a false humility. And by that I mean the appearance of humility when in reality it's just pride sitting behind it. So C.S. Lewis wrote what was called the uh, screw tape letters. And the premise behind it is this uh, fictional letters from the devil being sent to his demon to lead brothers and sisters, lead people astray, lead them away from the Lord. And so in this quote that I'm going to read, you and I are referred to as the patient. The devil is the one giving the strategy to the demon, and the enemy in this, the enemy of the devil, would be, would be the Lord. Okay, so it's upside down. But with that premise, the devil writes this to his demon. Your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to this fact? All virtues are less formidable to us once the man is aware that he has them. But this is especially true of humility. Catch him at the moment when he is really poor in spirit and smuggle into his mind the gratifying reflection, by Jove, I'm being humble. And almost immediately, pride, pride at, its, at his own humility will appear if he awakes to the danger and tries to smother this new form of pride, make him proud of his attempt, and so on through as many stages as you please. By this virtue, as by all the others, our enemy wants to turn the man's attention away from self to him and to the man's neighbor. So the Lord is, is trying to get us to live by the great commandment, loving the Lord our God with all our hearts, soul, mind, strength, and love our neighbor, the enemy just wants us to be fixated on ourselves. The temptation of false humility is we actually then become spiritually proud about how supposed humble we are. And we become a Pharisee. We beat our chest about all that we do to obey God, conveniently leaving out where we are in desperate need of making progress. And in doing so, we give the devil a foothold that will lead us to reflect and rely less and less on the grace of God, less and less on the power of the Spirit, less and less on the gift that the local church is. When we drift toward a Pharisee, we will slip into comparing ourselves horizontally to those around us. And we will develop a spiritually proud eyes or, or a haughty eyes, which is what Proverbs 6 spoke of. And the Lord detests such arrogance. The Pharisee draws attention to the areas of life that they have supposedly graduated in and rarely talks about the things that they are still in desperate need of growing up in. 
And as they do, it's more and more about them and less and less about the Lord and His sanctifying work. It's more about what they have accomplished, not in what the Lord has accomplished in them. The temptation in a call to pursue humility is that we misplace the destination that we're going toward. That's why I call the, call the message pursuing humility in Christ. Growing up into Him, that's the goal. He The head of the church is our destination. He, the the branch that we, or the the vine that we rely upon as branches is the destination. If we misdirect that, then our pursuit of humility can drift toward this false, self-righteous, look-at-me type of direction. We can also incorrectly think that pursuing humility means that the more we think less of ourselves, then that is what humility is. So this person isn't the chest-beating Pharisee. This is the person saying, I'm terrible. I'm scum. Woe to me. I'm I'm rotten. But again, that has self at the center. That's not what pursuing humility in Jesus is either because as believers, we are in Christ, hidden in Him, anchored in Him, which means our identity is in Him. And in Him... We are holy, we are saved, loved, accepted, gifted. We are His craftsmanship, His workmanship is how Ephesians 2.10 describes believers. So while humility calls us to think about ourselves less and consider the needs of others better than ourselves, humility doesn't mean we think less of ourselves. You see the difference? One is rooted in the gospel, in good news of Jesus Christ, identity in Him, and one is still rooted in pride. It just isn't chest-beating. It's just gutter-dwelling. And you've forgotten your identity in Christ. Andrew Murray, a pastor in the early 20th century, said this, Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that the Son of God from heaven took on flesh and dwelt among us. The proud, the rebellious, the broken. He was born of a virgin, lived a life free of sin, died a criminal's death upon the cross, atoning for and paying the full price of our sin and its penalty. And then He rose from the dead on the third day, proving He is the very Son of God and breaking the power of sin. So that by the grace of of God alone, through faith alone in Him, His created people might be saved from eternal judgment and be given new life in Him, abundant life here on this earth, eternal life in heaven. The good news of the gospel is that all because of Jesus, Jesus alone, we can be set free from this pursuit of arrogance and pride because He died for it upon the cross. He buried it in a tomb rose again, giving new life to those whose faith is in Him. So we walk in a new creation way. Listen to Galatians 2, 20-21. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. See, the proud set aside the grace of God because the proud uh, proud person says, I don't need that. I can save myself. I I can beat pride on my own, in a closet, by myself, in my own strength. I can put it to death by myself. And in doing so, 
they think they're trying to measure up to the law and trying to bat a thousand, get an A plus on the law. They'll always fall short. We always fall short. Otherwise, Christ died for nothing is what Paul is saying there. Loved ones, it's the way of the Pharisee. It leads to humiliation, a fall, and ultimately destruction when we set aside the grace of God. Jesus has come so that we might enjoy the grace of God and be changed by it and receive eternal life and abundant life here on this earth and walk in a new creation way. We're going to remember our crucified Savior through communion now. And the bread symbolizes His broken body. The juice symbolizes His shed blood. This is an active remembrance that the church of Jesus Christ has been doing for nearly 2,000 years. So we join in the global church throughout all history when we take of the bread and drink of, of the juice. Communion is an act that reminds us of Galatians 2, 20 and 21. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to take communion. You do not have to be a member of Crosspoint to do so. Our First Impressions team will be handing out the trays and encourage you to unwrap them. During the prayer time, we will take the elements together as a unified body of Christ. Galatians 2, 20 and 21 again. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law and Christ died for nothing. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. And so let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son. We adore you for being so so gracious and good to us to send your son to take on flesh and dwell among us a people in need of rescue, a people sick with sin and in need of healing, a people chained up by our own self-centeredness and sin and pride in need of rescue and freedom. And Lord, you've done it. You purchased our freedom. You were born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died upon the cross, rose again on the third day, ascended to heaven. One day you are returning I thank you that you've given the power of the Holy Spirit to dwell in us as your people. Spirit empowering us to walk in a new way. That we are new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Lord, we all confess collectively that we have hearts that are still prone toward pride and self-centeredness. And Lord, we are grateful that for the sanctifying, transforming work you have done in our lives, not only to save us, but to, but to grow us in a reflection of you. Lord, we're grateful for the truth that you're faithful to finish what you've begun in us. I pray for those who call this church home, Lord, that in our everyday lives, little moment by moments and in big moments and relationships and workplaces and church life and family life, 
in our communities that, that we would adopt your attitude, your attitude of humility and other-orientedness, and that you would get the glory alone for that. You would get the praise and that you would be exalted and not us. You're more than able and we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17, Paul's equivalence to saying God is so good to him. I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them, but I received mercy for this reason so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus, might demonstrate His extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in Him for eternal life. Now, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.